0: Welcome back to Ways to Flourish podcast, where we discuss our challenges and elevate the voices across the William & Mary campus. I am so excited today to welcome Dr. Tracy Cross, the Jody and Layton smith Professor of Psychology and Gifted Education, the Director of the Center for Gifted Education here at William & Mary, and in 2015, the creator of the Institute for Research on the Suicide of Gifted Students. Tracy, so happy to have you here.
1: Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here myself.
0: I would love to hear some more about the Center for Gifted Education and the Institute and the work that you do.
1: Great. Well, the Center for Gifted Education was started about 33 years ago. It's been around a long time. It's internationally known. It creates a lot of the curriculum materials that are used in our schools. Every state in the union uses our materials. And we're, I think, about 30 countries use them as well. So, my predecessor did a wonderful thing in creating the center and we're keeping it going. We do a lot of research. we're a small group, but we do a lot of research and we run a lot of programs for kids. We have camp launch is something we're oh. known for now, servicing uh, middle school and high school kids from uh, modest financial means, high ability kids. And we also uh, do a lot of professional development of teachers and counselors and parents. so the center is an active place. We try to do good for a lot of people, and we're about children from all backgrounds of high ability. So the Institute for Research on the Suicide of Gifted Students, near and dear to my heart, it's the only one of its kind in the country. And it's, uh, it was born out of my specialty in my research area, cognitive neuropsychologist by training, and the suicidal behavior of, of gifted students has been my passion for almost 30 years now. So we, we spend time, resources, trying to prevent suicides. We work with schools, provide consulting to try to help them build cultures that can prevent suicidal behavior. We do a lot of different types of research. We're about the only group in the country that does what are called psychological autopsies, specializing in gifted students. So it's uh, something that I think women Mary should be proud of. We're certainly proud of it. And we think we do some good. Our most recent publication has been touted. It's a psychological autopsy of an intellectually gifted student who was twice exceptional. And we learned a lot in that study. They they take a long time to do them like we do, so we can't do that many. But we've done about eight or ten now, and we've learned some things that are worth knowing.
0: Now, Tracy, for our audience members who may not know the 2E or twice exceptional label, what does that mean?
1: In, in the world of education, it means both gifted and disabled or with a learning disability or some physical disability. Any of the disability categories that are used to categorize or classify a person as a student having a disability. So you could be gifted in dysgraphic okay. or you could be gifted intellectually and have a learning disability. So we run a conference on 2E children and teaching them And I just did a session on this topic last week. So one of the nice things about the center is we try to integrate the suicide piece into everything that we do.
0: Now, what are some of the myths that are associated with uh, suicide or suicidal ideation?
1: Well, i like to maybe mention as many as three today. The most common myth is the broadest. And it's one that we've been wrestling with in the field for over 100 years. Really, it goes back far longer than that. And it's this belief that many people hold that gifted people are inherently more susceptible to mental health problems. And if you want to look for evidence to that end, just watch any movie about an accomplished pianist, singer, (laughs) dancer, you name it. If they're accomplished, they've got mental health problems. And it's it's, uh, unfortunate because it's not true and it's widely held. The research on it is quite one-sided. And even to the point of suggesting in many studies that as a group, Children who are considered gifted actually tend to be healthier mentally than the general population, healthier physically than the general population, and perhaps the biggest surprise, socially more skilled than the general population. Now, all of us know gifted kids, and we probably know of gifted kids who aren't particularly socially astute, but on the whole, as a group, they tend to be healthy, healthy people. So that's an important one because that's so widely held, a lot of other myths kind of fall from that. The second one is that gifted kids are more prone to suicidal behavior than the general population. And our research and others has pretty convincingly taught us that there's just no evidence to suggest that. We have very good evidence of suicide records or records with suicide information in it at the federal level but the records that are kept don't include whether a person's gifted or not. And even if it did, we use so many different definitions of giftedness, it'd be hard to get that accurate. So we have to go about determining this in other ways. Suicide ideation research is one way. And so what we found is that they're not. Uh, my guess is that they're about the same in, in uh, degree to which they're prone to suicidal behavior, about the same as a general population is a pretty good guess, frankly. There's another myth that's widely held. It's kind of generational. And this third one is that if a person is ever suicidal in their life, that they're always going to be suicidal. Oh. And that just doesn't, just doesn't prove to be true. Very, very few people experience that. Now, it is possible, but in, in large numbers of people, if you consider that about 45,000 Americans die via suicide every year, Among that group, there might be some who have that history, but the lion's share do not. That's really important to know because that tells us that if we can help people get through these tough periods in their lives, they have every reason to believe they'll be okay later on, and we need to treat them that way. We don't want to treat them as though they're always going to be a step or two away because it's just not accurate.
0: In the military, we talk about the Hemingway effect of, you know, military suicide. Those people most likely experience combat. Is there anything similar to the Hemingway effect among gifted and talented students when we when we talk about suicide?
1: I would say not exactly, no. But But the longer we do research and the more that we parse out different groups, whether it's males or females or different ethnicities or different cultures, what you find are different patterns. For example, males die by suicide at a much, much higher rate than females do. But females make far more attempts. So a statistic that's common would be that a person who, a female who dies via suicide has made in all likelihood 10 or more attempts, whereas males attempt fewer to complete. We know that about 50% of all deaths, in the U.S. by suicide happen with guns, with firearms. So if you add up all the other approaches, they make up about 50%. Mm. So those of us who work on behalf of suicide prevention, we are we're very uh, stern about the need that we have to limit access to lethal means. make it hard for people who are potentially suicidal to gain access to firearms as one example, put locks on them, hide them, Don't have them, whatever the case might be. Make it a slow process. Because one of those myths that exist in society is if a person wants to die by suicide, they will do it. And, And locking away the guns won't have an effect. But that is not what research supports. Research supports that the more time you can put between the thinking about and the engaging in the behavior, the greater the likelihood is to keep them going. And the more time you spread out there, the greater the likelihood they'll get through this period in their life. The definition that I like to use when I'm talking with people about what suicide is really attempting to do, to me, this one makes the most sense. It's not mine. It's uh, by a person named Schneidman. He said, people attempt suicide to escape intense emotional pain, intense emotional pain. And characteristic of that is a hopelessness, a despair that comes with hopelessness. So there are some ingredients that we can work with. But think how late in the process that actually is when we recognize that a person is that place. And one of the tough things about our research with gifted kids is if you're a type of gifted person who's intellectually gifted, you might be able to hide or mask a lot of the pain that you're feeling. As a matter of fact, my colleagues, I have many colleagues who provide psychological services for gifted kids, we talk about this all the time, that forever adults are surprised when a gifted child makes an attempt to die by suicide. Ironically, the student body often isn't surprised. So in schools, one of the things we do is try to educate both groups on how to make sure that if they see a friend in distress... What can they do to help that friend get through the next period? You know, not to diagnose suicidal behavior. That's way beyond most of our job descriptions. Unless you have specialized training in that, don't even try. But what we can do is just pay attention. And if we see someone who seems to be in distress, let's literally and metaphorically put our arm around them and see that they get to a counselor. That'll save lives just there.
0: You just made me think about a myth that is very important to me, both as an alum, but also somebody who works here. Tracy, how would you address the, the comment of William & Mary as a, as a suicide uh, hotspot or a suicide capital within academia?
1: Well, it's one of those unfortunate myths that's been built over the years. Many communities experience suicide contagion. In this case, where a suicide happens and it sort of forecasts multiple suicides. Schools often have them. I could name several states where individual high schools had from three to ten suicides. And once a suicide has occurred like that, the school, the community often worries that it has that reputation. So at William & Mary, when a few suicides occurred among students who had been William & Mary students... It created a worry in the minds of people, and it largely occurred without being formed from the research of the past 20 years. And that's that's an important thing to note because research in the past 20 years would exonerate, if you will, women, Mary's causing these events. Let me give one example here. I, I have to talk about this. It'll take me about a minute. The generation of students now who are preparing to go to college is the first generation in America that's grown up, always being at war, having to be trained how to hide from shooters coming into your elementary school, perhaps knowing children who were killed or shot in school, opioid uh, epidemic that's killed people in ways never before seen in the United States, and a worldwide pandemic. So no generation of young people have grappled with all those at the same time. We could add to a level of violence and uh, issues of of racism at a a peak that I've never seen in my lifetime. So now all these children are coming to school as, as young adults. So as their caregivers, we worry a lot about them. So unless you are informed with what research actually suggests, that that coming to Wayman Mary is no greater risk than going to any school. When the last event occurred, I noticed in paying a lot of attention to this that there was a spate of social media claims being made that were foundationless, that they were not representing at all what research would teach us about when you have suicide clusters. So it's really unfortunate that some people believe this. And I hope that if they do believe this, contact me and I'll be glad to share with you research that we've collected or that we've done that would provide up-to-date information about what, what suicide is really about, what causes it, what can work towards helping to prevent it. And, and just associating things like this as being causal is really kind of dangerous because it can create worry and doubt and anxiety. That's just not necessary. So, the Center for Gifted Education or the Institute for Research on the Suicide of Gifted Students can make available all sorts of information to anybody who would like to know more. We're available to chat. If you have questions, you want to call, we'd be happy to do that. And I'd make one more pitch. I've been at Women Mary 12 years now. I've never worked at a university that has more or better programs in place to look after the well-being of the students who live on campus. It's really remarkable. Uh, It's, uh, what can I say? It's remarkable. (laughs) Two of my children went to William & Mary, and I never worried once that they were unsafe because they were here. So let us know how we can help you. We'd love to try. I know we all want the same thing, which is to keep every single person going. No one should die by suicide.
0: Tracy, thank you so much. and I I learn so much every time you and I sit down and talk with each other you did mention some of the resources that we we have on campus and some of the the preparation that we do here to help prevent deaths by suicide and also to promote resilience if any of our listeners need to speak to a counselor here on campus you can dial 757-221-3620 that's 757-221-3620 any time of day within the United States you can dial the national helpline which is 800-273-TALK. That's 800-273-8255. If you're one of our many veterans out there, thank you for your service. And if you press the number one, when you call that hotline, you will be directed specifically to help just for our veterans. And if for some reason... You are unable to talk or you have deafness or uh, hearing disability, you can always text the word HOME, H O M E, to the number 741741, and you will be connected with a counselor via text. Folks, I just want to say thank you again to our guest today, Dr. Tracy Cross, over in the School of Education. I would also like to thank our sponsor, United Healthcare, for supporting this podcast. Ways to Flourish is produced by Colin Cross, Brittany Emmons, me, Eric Garrison, Ben Heath, Lindsay Heck, Jenny Hellmendaller, and Daria Moody.